listening to Inner Warm Up. I'm your host, Taylor Lise Morrison, founder and author of Inner Workout, ICF certified coach, and fellow journeyer. In 2017, I set out to build a life that didn't burn me out, and I found my life's work in the process. On Inner Warm Up, we talk about how self care and inner work show up in your relationships, your career, your schedule, and in the conversations you have with yourself. We get practical, we get nuanced, and we're not afraid to challenge wellness as usual. So take a deep breath and get curious. This is where your inner work begins. Today's guest is Michelle Palazan. She's the founder and CEO of Holisticism, where she helps creative, intuitive people embody their sacred work by bridging the gap between their intuition and their intellect. I've been a student of Michelle's, and she's certainly impacted the way that I run my business. She brings so much wit and wisdom into every conversation, and that's definitely true of this interview. So keep listening in to hear me have a couple of aha moments in real time, and also to explore what baking can teach us about running a business and generally being a human. Want to know how growth starts? With asking yourself the right questions. Our free take care assessment asks you 75 questions that get to the root of what you need most right now. After completing the assessment, you'll get a PDF profile with practices based on your results. Head to the link in our show notes to take care today. Michelle, thank you so much for being here. Of course. It's a delight, a pleasure always to chat with you. Yeah. And before we hit record, you were talking about how you don't really feel like you have a main thing. You kind of get to be in the business of being yourself. And I don't even know if I like that phrasing now that I say that out loud. You get to be yourself and you also get to make a living. So for the people who are listening who aren't familiar with how you pay your bills, can you just tell us a little bit about what happens in your ecosystem? Yeah, I run a company called Holisticism and I have been for the last six years. And we teach creative, intuitive entrepreneurs how to connect to themselves and run businesses. Basically like not lose their minds while doing the things that like they're supposed to do, you know, their soul's purpose for lack of a better term. So it involves a lot of different types of classes and education and community building and consulting work. So I get to kind of just, I was just thinking today as I was like writing a quiz, it's so fun what I get to do. Like I get to like write a silly little quiz today with like fun, creative answers and tell you what your archetype is and give you a creative prescription for when you're feeling like sad or like not creative. And how cool. I mean, I'm never bored. That's for sure. (laughs) I love that for you. And it's funny, I was just interviewing my college roommate before this. And yeah, we were talking about she just had her book come out. It's a Jane Austen, Agatha Christie-esque book. Oh my God, that sounds amazing. I want to read it immediately. Yeah, A Most Agreeable Murder. It's great. But we were talking about how interesting it is when you get to do work that you love and how difficult it is to then not have your work take over your life. And that's something that I've been navigating as someone who talks about self-care and inner work and is always doing my own self-care and inner work. But like, how much of that do I share? What is for me? What is not for me? So I'm curious, how do you navigate like 
having fun at work and also having fun outside of work? Well, I had a baby nine months ago. So when I originally wanted to be an entrepreneur or decided to start a business, I didn't like want to be an entrepreneur. It was this nagging feeling that I had to make this thing. And if I didn't, I would be like haunted by it for the rest of my life. And so I needed to like exercise the demon that was this business idea. And when I started my business, I was like, okay, this is kind of cool because maybe eventually if I do become a parent, I can like create my own hours and I can have a little bit more sovereignty because one thing I really don't want to do is go on maternity leave for six weeks and then have to like come back to an office and not be around my baby and like just not have the freedom to make choices for myself. So when that time finally came, I was like, I kind of had like a panic attack. (laughs) Like I was having a little bit of a like wobbly because I was like, okay, do I want to even go on maternity leave? I love my job, but I'm also exhausted. And pregnancy was really hard for me. And I was like, am I going to like being a parent? Am I going to want to come back to work? Like what's going to happen? And it was a real sort of like forcing function because I did end up taking three months off with like, you know, tapping back in here and there with things that I love doing, like recording the podcast. And it also just, man, it's so clarifying to sift through what you really enjoy doing, what gives you energy and what you don't like doing. So I spent pretty much the three months after I came back from maternity leave, just like ruthlessly cutting out the things that I don't like doing that I kind of like hadn't properly audited. I would say, back then. I love every part of my job. And in reality, like if I was really being honest with myself, there were many things that I didn't like love, love, love about my work that weren't as fun to me. And that has been really interesting to navigate down from working, I don't know, 50 to 60 hours a week down to now I'm at 28 hours a week that I'm working on the business. And that's been huge, like for my self-care and also just for my time to do the things, other things that I love doing that make me, me, even just like we just moved. We, we live down on this like very cute little street, like walking down the street and like going into the little shops and getting a coffee. And that to me is so, <laughs> it's like part of my personality, you know, like that's, that's necessary for me to feel like myself. Something that you said that I want to lean into And it's funny, you're only my second interview for this season and I'm already starting to hear themes coming out. I'm in the season right now of like BFFR. I actually use the F-bomb a fair amount in real life, but I don't say it on the podcast, but I'm in a B for real season right now where just like being so honest with myself about what I want, what I don't want. And I have this moment as of recording, I guess, almost exactly two weeks ago where it was like 11 at night. I was on Instagram, I created a Finsta because I was like, maybe I don't like Instagram because it's so many people that don't know me. So I made a Finsta. And then I was like, I don't like being on here. I'm just not going to be on here for six weeks. And already it feels so good. I keep having the sense of like, I don't even know what is the best way to describe it. It's the sense of like, I feel my boundaries again. And like, I have a boundary around being on social media only so long, but it's like, I feel what is me and I feel what is not me anymore. It totally makes sense. And I think when you are the figurehead of your business or the vision holder of your business, the, the only vision holder in your business, it's it can be really hard to delineate like what's mine and what actually is like the business's sort of personality or destiny or sort of like, I believe in animism. So I guess I like believe that everything has a soul, including a business. And in 
in that way, like its own orbit. Like I have an orbit where I, I pull things into me, right? Like based on what I want with my life and what my destiny might be and what I'm creating and what I'm speaking into the world, who I want to surround myself with, that like they sort of float in, right? And I can reach out and hopefully grab them if I time it correctly. And I think our businesses do something similar. And sometimes our orbits, <laughs> like they're kind of like oppositional. <laughs> like the things that I don't want in my orbit are actually in the business's orbit. And I'm like, oh, don't get your cooties on me. But like the business needs that thing and and I don't really want it. And mixing up our two or- orbits and confusing them for each other for one big orbit man, really going with this metaphor of planets can be like a lot. I think that that's where my boundaries kind of get like a bit fuzzy. I'm like, oh, am I pulling this in or is this like a holisticism thing? And like, is that cool? Do I need to shift that? What needs to shift? Who needs to shift? And it's hard to like not make the business you or not mistake business for you. Absolutely. And I feel like that's something I have navigated. I am navigating. I will continue to navigate. And that's life. It it would be boring if I just completely figured it out one day. I like sitting in questions. That's showbiz, baby. You know, that's like, that's what we're here for. (laughs) Exactly, exactly. And the reason why I wanted to bring Instagram into the conversation, because when I was still on Instagram and I'm like, "Mm," I was going to put a percentage and then my body was like, no, don't put a percentage. There is a chance. There's a chance that I will be back on Instagram in the fall. But before I left, you were baking so much. And I just loved seeing, like, I am not a bread baker. I have gotten into, actually, Paris, who used to be Inner Workout's social media manager. She told me about, like, these little baking recipes of, like, enough cookies for four, like, for two people or for one person. And so I've been so into like baking my little sugar cookie recipe that's like enough for me and Matt, or honestly, enough for me in multiple servings. And it's been so fun. And I I guess I'm just curious to hear more about what got you on your baking kick. It was so funny when, because you sent some of these questions through and I was like, wow, the bread. People love the, love to talk about the bread. I'm I'm into it. I'm game. I've always been like sort of a not maternal, but like, I like making a home. Like I love cooking. I love hosting people. I've always enjoyed baking. My mom's not really a cook. (laughs) My mom didn't sew. You know, I did all those things growing up and she was like, you're such a weirdo. Like, where are you picking this up from? Because it's not me. Like Little House on the Prairie Corps, you know? I was like, let's churn butter. That sounds so fun. And she's like, you are insane. So it's always like kind of been part of my personality. Just like I've always been obsessed with astrology. And now, you know, when I had roads, first off, when I was pregnant, all I could eat really was like bread. I was so sick for like, you know, seven months. And then all I wanted to eat were bagels. And I live in LA and I used to live in New York. And there's not a good bagel within, I don't know, probably 50 miles of where I live. Honestly, I've tried them all. And I was so frustrated that I decided to start making my own bagels. And around that time too, you know, I was thinking about having my son. My husband's Jewish. I've taken all the classes to convert to Judaism, thinking about raising him and the traditions that we wanted to share together. And I was like, wow, it'd be so cool if I made challah every Friday because that's for Shabbat. We host Shabbat most most Fridays. It's like, that'd be cool like to make that and to have him help me. And it's so easy. I should just learn how to do it. And I guess to me, like being in the kitchen, there's so much family history. My family used to own a bakery sort of generations ago. And 
I really like ritual and tradition. Like that's probably why I like magic and witchcraft so much because I love coming back to those things. And to me, baking like represents that. It represents sort of like this ritualistic tradition and also like it's alchemy, you know, putting a bunch of ingredients together and like, like the same basically five ingredients and being able to make infinite delicacies that delight the people around you, that nourish the people around you, that make your house feel like your home, just like because of the smell of the wafting smell of sourdough bread, you know, with like fresh butter on it and a little bit of malt on salt. That's like such an easy transformative experience that I get to practice every every day if I want, you know, the magic and the mundane. So I think there's like a lot of layers to it. Tradition, enjoying it, probably just being a curious person, having a high failure tolerance. So when I make really bad loaves of bread, which I often do, not taking it personally and like wanting to make it even better. And honestly, not having a good bagel for a really long time. So there, you know, a necessity um, of having to make make up my own stuff. But yeah, yeah it's been mother fun. of invention. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, I, I guess I am curious about that because you you use the word easy a couple of times. So it seems to you as there, there's a certain ease in baking, especially certain types of bread. And I also, outside of this conversation, have heard you talk about wrestling with perfectionism. So I'm curious where like, where does the ease and the failure and the tolerance or intolerance of failure and the perfectionism, how does that all come together in baking for you? Well, because I'm going to make the thing over and over and over again, it's kind of like, you know, I get to tweak the recipe ad infinitum. And just because a recipe, let's say, is printed in the New York Times, doesn't mean it's going to work for all people. Like there are so many variables that go into creating that thing. It's a lot like business. There's like a formula that you can follow. I can give you the literally to the ounce how much flour you should use. I can tell you to the degree how hot your oven should be. But you might need to bake your cake for like eight minutes longer. I don't even know why. You just might need to do it. Like you got to kind of eyeball it and see what happens. And honestly, it might taste bad. Or you might have, you know, sort of fucked something up halfway through. Or you didn't follow the instructions, but it still turned out great. And you're like, well, okay cool. That was weird. There's something like nice about that surprise. And I don't feel like it's like personally responsible when something comes out inedible. I'm like, well, okay. (laughs) I don't know if it was me, if it was a recipe, if it was the humidity in the air today, but I guess I can just like try again. I mean, it's usually very low cost. It just cost me some like flour and some water and some salt and uh, in my time. But it also generally like you know, if something doesn't come out looking perfect, it still usually tastes pretty good. And I can like repurpose it into something else. So again, it just asks me to be like a little bit more creative. It didn't turn out exactly how I wanted, but like nothing ever really does, you know? Like when you have a dinner party, you have these, or at least I do, I'll speak from the eye. I have these machinations of like what could happen, what like it should look like, how I will plate everything. And inevitably the potatoes take longer than the chicken and someone's actually vegan, but they didn't tell us. And, you know, like it's all kind of a mess and and like that's okay. It still ends up being amazing and I can't really control it. So I might as well just like roll with the punches and try to find the nugget in there or the essence of like, well, what is the why behind this? Like, what was the point? Oh, to nourish, to like have an experience, to slow down because baking really asks me to slow down, to just like see what I can do, to learn a new skill. You still have to practice. You can't be perfect the first time, you know? Yeah. And 
as I'm hearing you say that, I'm thinking of even little pieces that you were talking about of, yeah, you have to practice things. I can speak from the eye. So often I'm just like, oh yeah, I saw someone do that. So I should try it and it should be perfect the first time. And then also the piece that you were saying, of it's a little bit like if I make something in my mom's oven, it's going to be different than if I make it here versus if I make it at my mat's parents. And I see so often, and I think this is just a thing that we want as humans, is we want this formula and this thing that worked for this person to work exactly for us this way. And it seems like baking, if we allow it to be, can be this invitation to not just see what the bread needs in our kitchen and with our ingredients, but also like what do we need and how is that different than what we see from that person over there that we admire so much, but has really different personality and really different values than we do? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Following someone else's recipe or someone else's instruction or someone else's roadmap. I think for a lot of people that I work with, probably you, probably many people listening, it's not really like enough. Like that curiosity itch isn't scratched. We don't want to just like literally follow someone else's footsteps and not sort of like go out, out of the bounds of that. And with baking, like I don't know, I didn't have a mom who like taught me about baking or whatever. And I wasn't really good at chemistry, you know, I, when I was in high school. So I learned a lot just by looking at the ingredient list and being like, what the fuck does cream of tartar do? <laughs> like, let me Google and see what that does. And there's usually like an alternate, right? There's something else that can go in there like, oh, why do I have to like brown the dried milk powder? Oh, because it like brings a a creamier, richer, more caramely taste. Well, is there another way to get that taste if I don't have that ingredient? And like, that's probably how I, I learned to be even better, just like with cooking, right? Like we learn how to be good cooks just by like tasting a lot of food. It's not really by like studying something. It's by experiencing and like being able to literally and metaphorically metabolize that information. And I feel like that's the same for like, that's my approach with life and with business. Like, well, okay, I see that you're doing that thing, but like, why are you doing it? And is there a different way to do it? I'm not saying that what you're doing is wrong or that I'm not going to end up following your recipe. Just like, well, why did you choose that thing over something else? Why did you choose that ingredient or that step over another, you know? We all have 24 hours in the day. But depending on your schedule, your responsibilities, and your finances, it doesn't always feel like that. We built the Inner Workout app to help you practice self-care with the time you have. It's filled with journaling practices, meditations, and mini courses called Journeys that you can complete in 10 minutes or less. But that's not all. Find more time for self-care with lock sessions, which go beyond notification blocking and allow you to lock yourself out of apps that steal your time and attention. Visit innerworkout.co slash app or click the link in the show notes to add the Inner Workout app to your support system. Yeah, and I've been coming back to this idea of like how so many of the things that are transformative in our life are really simple. like. Asking why, so simple to do that. And yet, how many times do I not ask why and then blindly follow? And then months later, I'm like, why does this feel awful? And so I love when I'm talking to people, just hearing these reminders of like, yeah, it could be as simple as before I jump into buying the course, spending hours reading the book, obsessively looking at something. Why don't I just like ask why? 
and then see if their why is aligned to my why or see if there's already something in my arsenal that could get me there. Like it's so simple and so difficult sometimes. Yep, totally. I was just researching this concept called self-reference effect. It's a mental model that helps us remember things more easily. And people with ADHD, as you know, have poor executive functioning. So we typically have poor recall, memory recall. Anyways, self-reference effect, they don't really understand how it works, but basically it's like the more you relate something to yourself, (laughs) you know, probably because we're like inherently selfish beings, the easier you remember it. And I was just thinking about that self-reference effect. And one of the questions to ask yourself to sort of implement the mental model is, how does this apply to me? Or how might this apply to what I'm working on? are thinking about. Like just asking yourself that question as you're reading an article on the Times or as you're listening to someone talk on a podcast like this. Because I mean, when I was writing out, you know, my research, I was like, I don't really actively do that. Like I think I passively do that a lot, but how often do I actually actively ask myself, how does this apply to me? Like how might this framework or lens help me zoom in on an area of my life or how might I apply this to my work or to what I'm learning or what I'm trying to do. (laughs) And I think that we take in a lot of advice passively that way. We just like, we don't really sort of hold it up to the light and judge it and ask like, well, does this apply to me? (laughs) Like, do I want to apply this to my life or not? Yeah. I love that. Another question we can be asking, like, how does this apply? And then you get to follow up. Do I want this to apply? Do I want to shift this some way? To bring it back around to baking and also it's like I want to bring it to baking, but I want to expand it a little bit because basically what it sounds like is that you effectively like reduce your working hours by 50%. So the original question that I was going to ask you is like, how do you make room for baking? But what I'm really curious to ask you is like, how did you create as someone who at the beginning of this said like, you really enjoy a lot of what you do and what you get to do, how did you create the mental space? Because it's not necessarily like you leave the factory, you leave the assembly line, you are done working. You could theoretically be nursing your baby and still working. So I'm just so curious, what did that look like, that wind down from like 50 to 60 down to 28, at least on holisticism? Well... I think I've always had the perspective that like, kind of like with when you're doing your taxes and you're like, oh, that's a write-off. That's a write-off. That's a write-off. Because like, I don't know, everything applies to my work in a way, right? Like if I get my haircut, well, I don't do this, but I could theoretically write that haircut off because I'm on camera. So like, I don't know, my appearance or the makeup that I buy, like that's part of my job. I kind of think that way. I have these like sort of like intellectual write-offs of like, well, every or experiential write-offs, like everything I do kind of like in some way sort of swims back or makes its way back into my work, whether it's like truly taking a concept, like literally, or even just taking like a lesson, like what I learned when I'm baking and I like really fuck things up and like taking that approach back. I'm not going to be like, I learned this from messing up a ton of sourdough rolls and setting off the fire alarm in my house. I probably wouldn't even like consciously know that, right? But like everything kind of circles back as I'm sure you know. So I think more the mental bandwidth was anxiety, like creating more mental bandwidth was like eliminating anxiety and stress. And I'm already already like a really systematized person, but 
I'm already a really systematized person and I'm a very stubborn person who part of me really likes the muscularity of work and the muscularity of hard work and not asking for help, even though I know how to do it. (laughs) I know how to make my life easier. But like, there's still something in me that I need to work through that's like, but I like when it's hard. <laughs> like, like it's rewarding when it's hard or it's rewarding when I like, I don't know, spend five hours writing something out or concepting something. And now that I have other things that are, to me, it's more rewarding. It's more rewarding to like be with my son or um, have friends over and host them or go on a walk or... I'm taking a mediumship class. So like, you know, practice my mediumship than it is to like struggle and struggle and huff and puff over work. So that was, I think like a mindset shift that made a difference. And then that that from there, it was like, oh, I just have to like 80, 20 everything I do. And I need to make my systems even tighter and actually rely on them more because I have them in place. But I make my life harder when I go off track, right? Because systems make your life more simple, more streamlined. So I have to use more of my muscles when I'm off track and I make that conscious choice. So I just need to make the conscious choice to like stay on track, you know, and that creates more space. And that way, like I still kind of can be thinking about the business or I can let my thoughts sort of more lazily, lugubriously sort of like sink in and make their way into the work without having to like force it or feel like I'm constantly looking at everything through the lens of my job. I really was relating to what you were saying about kind of relishing in the hard work of things. And I've been working through that on my own where I know you love mental models. So I'm sure, or I would, I'm not even going to assume I'm working on not assuming. I wonder if you're familiar with the idea of like zone of genius, zone of excellence, zone of competence, et cetera. Like I have two, this sounds, can sound a little braggy, but I would guess you're probably the same way. There's a lot in my zone of competence. I like worked at a startup. I grew up in a time where we just like had the internet and we could just figure out stuff as a kid where I'm like, like I started a whole event planning business that I never like actually planned events for, but I was in high school and I was like, I'm going to plan kids parties. And then I remember being in the locker room in high school and like someone calling me because they had found this website that I had made to like <laughs> oh have God. me plan a kid's party. Like I just figured like stuff 17. Out. Like, <laughs> like, I don't have event insurance. Like I, I cannot actually do this. That's but so funny. I love figuring stuff out and I've been doing it for so long that there's a lot I'm competent at, but like that gets me stuck. And so I need to be like, how can I do more of the things that are easy and that I really want to invest the time in to be good at? Yeah, my husband and I talk about this all the time. There are so many things. I think that to your point, our generation is incredibly skilled at. And also I would say millennials and Gen Z are like incredibly resilient. It's not intimidating to like start your life anew. (laughs) We've had to do it so many times. And I think like you can kind of get addicted to just like starting the new thing or like wanting to master something new. It's almost like adding, (laughs) adding like ribbons, (laughs) you know, or like a Girl Scout, Boy Scout pins or whatever to to your list of like, okay, things that I'm really good at, like you're sort of like gathering all of these little traits, but in the, in the process, you're kind of forgetting like, well, but, but why? <laughs> to what end? Like, do I really need to have all, you know, 17 different credentials? Maybe, maybe that's really important in my process. Or maybe I'm like trying to justify my confidence or my competence when like, I don't really need 
an outside entity to tell me that like, yes, I'm good to go to move forward in this, whatever I'm interested in, coaching or consulting or copywriting or writing a book or whatever. I feel like that is such a good reminder. Okay. I'm going to land the plane back at baking, which is, it's just been so fun having these conversations because it's like, I think I'm going to talk to you about reading or I think I'm going to talk to you about baking. And all of a sudden we're talking about the WGA strike or all these different things. It's just been so fun to see where these things go. But for people who were kind of sold on, okay, if I start baking, this is an opportunity for me to do something with my hands. That's what I love about it. It's so tactile and like it's hard to multitask other than maybe listening to music or a podcast in the background. So if you could build like a Michelle Pelazon lip sets, this is the starter kit for baking. What are the things that you would put in that package for people? Oh my gosh. Well, first I just asked like, what do you like to eat? Because don't make things that you don't enjoy eating and giving other people and practicing because you're going to have to eat a lot of it. Like, I'm not really a frosting girly. So I like to make cakes that don't involve a ton of frosting or traditional cream cheese frosting. What do you like to eat? And like, what is meaningful to you? Or what would be cool for you? Like, that you're like, oh, I want to be able to bring this to a party or gift this to my friends. Because you don't have to have like, you know, 500 recipes. You can have three recipes that you're amazing at. <laughs> making a loaf of bread, making a like bomb chocolate chip cookies and making an amazing birthday cake. That's awesome. Like being able to make those things from scratch, you're better off than like 99% of people. So what is it that you want to make? What's important to you? For me, my lens is like, what traditions do I want to have? Like my mom makes a special birthday cake for me and my sister every year. It's the same birthday cake and it's incredible. So like, what do I want to make for roads? Or am I going to make, am I going to make challah every, every Friday for Shabbat? And then I would say like, just get in your arsenal. You need a loyal taste tester. You need someone who can like be honest with you, be real for you, you know, for a second, be like, I don't know, the crumb's not great on this one, but it did really taste good. Or this tasted like nothing but it looks really pretty. So, you know, or I love this recipe and you need to make it again and again and again. Like it's perfect. Don't change it. I love it. And then I would say like, always be seeking inspiration. I think Instagram is amazing for this, but I also think that old school, just like having cookbooks, that tactile feeling, speaking of tactile, having cookbooks that you go back to over and over again, that like are the pages are sort of marled from, you know, your sticky, eggy, I don't know, doughy hands touching them and water and whatever, whatever implement you need while you're baking or cooking. I love that. I love the like information that's stored inside of a cookbook that's yours and the annotations that you make according to your oven and your tastes and how you sort of work with the recipe over time. And it kind of reminds me of when I moved to New York, someone told me one piece of advice, find one piece of art and like make it your piece of art. So find a museum and find one painting and just visit it over and over and over again and watch how your relationship with that piece of art changes as you change and as you start to see it differently and as you get to know it and you become intimate with it. And I think like recipes are a bit similar, like having a recipe that you go back to over and over again that can kind of be your friend and kind of reflect back to you like how you've grown that you can become fluent in is a really nice like landing spot. Mm, I love that. I immediately, a piece of art in the Art Institute came to mind where I was like, oh, that's like my art. And now it's already making me think of, okay, what's the recipe? I I cook my grandmother's biscuits a fair amount. Matt and I try not to eat dairy. So it's it's not the exact recipe. <laughs> that's hard. Like the, yeah. the dairy-free <laughs> version is better on our, our stomachs and our overall well-being. But yeah, I'm, 
excited to go on that journey of finding like our recipe. This was so lovely. I could chat with you about this and other things all day. If people want to stay in conversation with you, how can they do that? Yeah, this was so fun. Thanks for having me. I love to talk about something new, baking. I mean, what a joy. People can find me on the Holisticism podcast, The 12th House, where we talk about a lot of stuff, including, you know, in our 12th House Plus episodes, just what's going on in life. So if you want to know about recipes, probably talk about them there. And I do share a little bit on Instagram and on threads about what I'm baking and what I'm cooking. And honestly, I think it's kind of boring stuff sometimes, but I think it's probably way more interesting than talking about business to people. Just like what's up in my life and what's going on. So I'm on Instagram at Michelle Pellis on Lipsets. Lovely. Well, thank you again. Thank you. It's just so fun. Inner Warm Up is a collaborative effort. It's hosted by me, Taylor Lee Morrison, produced by Jenny Kearns, and edited by Carolina Duque. If you enjoyed this episode, share it with a friend. And if you're looking to continue your inner work, our free take care assessment is a great place to start. On that note, take care. <laughs>